Welcome back to the Cock and Ball podcast, a weekly look at all things Spurs in the time it takes you to walk from Seven Sisters to White Hart Lane. Just a reminder, you can follow us on our Facebook page uh, or on Twitter at cockandball underscore pod. Uh, we've got an email address somewhere. It, am I right in saying, Ash, it's cockandballpod at gmail.com? That's the one. Oh, straight in, three points. Uh, I'm Tom, a.k.a. Fen, and once again, I'm joined by the Italian stallion and noble steed, Mel Bronk. It's Ashley. Buonasera. And alongside him is the donkey keeping the statistical mill turning. It's Jules. Oh, eat your... <laughs> <laughs> uh, joining us somewhere on the Great Western uh, Railway is JB Summers, who is somewhere in Wales generating fake news. Yes, all of the fake news. <laughs> <laughs> From from Great Western Railway, other train services are available. <laughs> anyway, we had our Europa League proper opener uh, last Thursday. Fairly straightforward 3-0 win against Lask uh, with a heavily rotated team. Ash, what particularly caught your eye in that game? Finally having a feeling of having a proper backup striker, not just someone who is some we can just lump the ball to and he might do all right, like we had in Lorenzo, or you know, trying to have wingers fit in that position. Vinicius's performance was pretty. If he if he had that header, it would have been a ten out of ten. But even without that, his link-up play is something that was really pleasing, because that's something that we probably missed the most when Kane's not in, having that focal point up front who can play those passes to some degree. He's never going to be as good as Kane, but he can still link up the play and keep attack and movement going in a fairly similar structure to what we what we're used to. We don't have to change the game too much, but we can still utilize. A longer ball because he's six foot three and obviously half decent in the air. Yeah, agree with all that. I also just liked how, whether it's off uh, off Kane or Vinicius, Son is just become an absolute master at picking up how to run off a player of that that style. And it seems to to make sense to me that we've got a similar style striker to Kane because it allows the other forwards to kind of maintain their same setup or sort of approach and playing with them. And I thought same from Moore again did well. Um, so yeah, it was kind of routine, but lots of lots of things to enjoy enjoy watching. Yeah, I was yep. quite impressed by Vinicius. I mean, he did spend a lot of the game offside, but that wasn't necessarily his fault because he was still he was making the runs. They just weren't picking him out. So he's clearly got great vision in him. I mean, he, he's got two assists. So what more do you want? And his assist to Moira was uh, unbelievable. I, I don't know how he managed to play that angle. He called his performance 10 out of 10. I would call it 11 out of 11, which was actually his um, completed passes. (laughs) 100% pass accuracy, which is impressive. But it was only 11 passes, so it's a read into that what you will. Uh, And we continued the sublime leadership that is Hoybier in the middle of the park. You ever just watch him. Don't watch the ball. Watch what Hoybier is doing. He's a great composer. He's just pointing around the park again. Right, don't don't give it to me. Give it to like look out there. And we've missed that. He's literally running the show. Whereas you know we've talked about it previously that since Oko will just pass the ball and they're running high be able to find someone else. Yeah, and I think as well, Huyberg, um I think it's the first time I've seen us have a midfielder of quite that style in a few years. Because and when we had Dembele, Dembele was absolutely incredible. But he wasn't orchestrating in quite that way. He was just impossible to tackle and could kind of help you recycle the ball. But Hoyberg is clearly more, uh, yeah, he's clearly a leader. He organises, he directs the play. So now I think just every game, every game further we get into the season, the smarter he looks as a, as a signing. I think him and him and Vinicius just again stood out on, on Thursday and that, that boded well for, for Monday's game. 
was just going to say on Oibier, it's sad to go about, and it's not always the flashy players or the ones that have the biggest price tag or the ones that came from the sort of most exotic clubs that usually have the biggest impacts. Uh, and I just feel like he's kind of had the, the biggest, so far, the biggest influence on how Spurs have improved at those niggly little things that they've traditionally not been very good at and certainly weren't very good at at the end of the Poch era. Kind of being progressive up the pitch and being that player that does the, the dirty work, for want of a better phrase. And um, I'll come back to it again, I think he'll be the, the player of the season, to be honest. Love that. And completely agree. And it's why I'm sure Fenn remembers when we were living together in our grossy little flat in Brixton, um, that I consistently said that Calvin Phillips at Leeds was a player who I really liked and I would I would back Poch to take him and turn him into a really good player, even though at the time he was, you know, just considered a championship centre-half or holding mid. Um, and now look at him being capped for England and looking like one of Southgate's preferred options when he plays four defensive midfielders in th- front of three centre-halves. <laughs> yes, I'm bitchy. We know this. <laughs> thought Lamella was well off the pace. There's one big chance. He seems to be a big game player where he turns up to step on people, give him an opportunity to play 90 minutes. Didn't really do a great deal, and I think he should have at least scored a goal. I think I, I, think I might be a bit harsh. I think the problem with Lamella is that he's not a wide player anymore, is he? He's become this kind of like hustling, aggressive, shithousery of a 10. But he's no longer got any pace or any kind of incision from those wide areas. And when you ask a player to not... You know, when a player's not getting regular minutes in that same position, it's hard to to, to be sharp in it. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't. I don't particularly blame him. Yeah, I just I just don't really agree with you. Really, I think he looked completely off the pace despite starting against United. So you could argue that he, he does have that match sharpness. And don't get me wrong, I was a Lamella sympathizer for years. I always appreciated what he could offer, and his injuries never allowed him to show that. But then it got to the point where seven years down the line, someone asked you the question: Well, what does he do? And apart from step on people, I can't say he does a great deal. I, I definitely think he should have scored uh, against Lask. That said, he was a little bit more pragmatic uh, when he came on on Monday night uh, against Burnley in our pragna- pragmatic 1-0 win uh, to have more. He, he kind of held up the ball a bit better. He was a bit trickier. Uh, and it was a game that kind of kind of suited him but is that the player we want to keep around he could just turn up for half an hour here and there against certain opposition not if you really want to be any better than what Spurs have been for the last few years which is a side that can turn up on occasion and be really impressive and everybody goes oh that's nice but then when it really might as well go you know like a jigsaw falling apart when you drop it into the box after like Christmas period is over but I mean like Somebody that can turn up and do a job at Burnley is no bad thing, is it? So I guess it's a bit of six of one and half a dozen of the other. Yeah, well, what I would say is that when, when we brought him in, we needed him to be a game changer and a game winner. We just lost one of the best wingers the Premier League had, had ever seen. And we didn't really we didn't really move forwards for, for two or three seasons. And he was supposed to be the player that could bring that spark on that on that right hand side and and score those goals. That's not really what we need from him at the moment. So I do think now is probably the time to cash in. But if we don't, I don't think it's a disaster because what he does bring is something that we do lack in those attacking areas, which is that fight and that, and that intelligence against certain teams, which you need. I, I agree, but I also see, see Fenn's point. I don't, th- I don't think on the ball he contributes enough to be part of a team that has aspirations of being 
the level that we'd like to be. You know, could he get into Wolves? Yes. Would he get into City? No. Now, if you ask the same question about would he get into City of Son or Kane, obviously they would. I think Ndombele could get into City. So if you're looking at the quality of our squad, he's clearly not of that top tier level is the honest answer. Um, And if you want an aggressive left footer to be a bit of a scumbag, I will take a much cheaper rate than him to hack people down. <laughs> so, there are there are cheaper ways of doing it than, than Eric Lamella. In slightly better news, another goal and assist combo for Kane and Son in our game at Turf Moor. There's other partnerships going on as well. Um, Jules, are there, are there other things going on there that are also impressing you? I loved. Uh, I was delighted to see Toby and Dyer at the back. I thought they looked rock solid together. I think they're a more natural fit than I, th- I think trying to play with Sanchez um, must be a nightmare for, for the fellow centre-back because you've got no idea what the hell he's going to do. Um, <laughs> so trying to build some consistency with him is tricky. But I thought, I thought at the back, we had a great partnership and I'd like to see that continue. But in centre-mid, there's a partnership which to me looks really ill-fitting in Sissoko and Ndombele. And I want to get your boys' thoughts on do you see that being something which we should be doing just because they're both French and supposedly Sissoko is well-liked around the place? Or is the reality that Tongi is carrying the team a little bit in that area of the pitch and sort of having to make up for Sissoko's lack of lack of a technical ability, really? Yeah, it's just what Sissoko brought to the team was uh, a fight and a steal in the middle of the park at a time when we desperately needed it because... When Yamov was injured and then was sold, Dyer was always ill or injured, and Dembele again was 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 injured and sold himself. That's not something we need anymore because we brought in Hoiberg, who is far superior in that role than he is in every aspect of it. What I would prefer to see, and it's something that I would expect to see, is when when the Chelsea's back, is we'd like to see free a free man midfield of Hoiberg, the Chelsea, and and then Dembele, whether that be as a as a free or with either the Chelsea on the belly pushing forward in a ten, so so he sort of outlived his um, his usefulness to to a team. We've we've outgrown him, and obviously it's, it's great that he turned in himself around the way he did. But it's, it's time for us to find someone who is far more tactically uh, technically proficient than he is. I can see why he was picked because he's just a big brute. He's he's pretty tall as well. I think he's a you know, upwards of six foot two. So in a game like Burnley, I'd be a little bit concerned that. The Chelsea might have been bullied out of the game. Uh, and the beauty of having a Chelsea on the bench is when you inevitably have to sub off and Dombele, you can bring the Chelsea on. So you don't lose the, the technical ability that he has to, to bring about those transitions. Suzuka doesn't do transitions. He just does uh, sort of big kicks and occasionally <laughs> finds a sprint out somewhere. He's, when he turns it on, he's still pretty gassed. But he's got even- that, there's, there's no doubt he can break up the pitch effectively and, and, and he's definitely got his defensive uses in terms of kind of, I think, that, that sort of combativeness which we sometimes lack. But, Fen, you said on, I think it was the last podcast about Suzoko always sort of plays the way he's facing. And you said that to me and unfortunately that meant that you ruined my Monday night because all I could <laughs> notice was how often he gets the ball to feet and just bounces the ball straight back in the direction where it's just come from. And there'll be so many moments where it's like, 
just open it up and spread it. Like the opposition fullback would be in so much space. And I felt like Hoysberg was really having to kind of force it a bit in progressing the play because he was playing with someone who really wasn't doing that at all. So we ended up probably giving him too much responsibility. And then that makes Ndombele have to produce moments of magic, which to be fair, he did. I thought he had some beautiful dribbles and runs, but yeah, long-term, uh, I agree with Ash. I'd like to see Lachelso uh, come in for, for him in that in that kind of role. I'm going to say this quite quietly. Thomas Party, would he not have been a very good upgrade on Sissoko, a natural one? Yes, but did we have an additional £50 million to drop on a player who earns more than Harry Kane? Could have uh, got Sissoko to go the other way. Put <laughs> in. I'm not quite sure if Letty would, would, would view that as a fair trade. I think that might have <laughs> not, not so sure we could have pulled it off. You tend to need, uh, you tend to need uh, a agreement both ways for a transfer like that. <laughs> we well, didn't stop him going to Arsenal, did it? <laughs> Do I think Partey's a good player? Absolutely. Um, could we have feasibly got him this summer? No. I think, I think we spent about 50 million, wasn't it, this, this summer in net revenue? That's that's the total, something like that. So I think we, given we spread that across a centre half, a fantastic left back, bail in on loan, a backup centre forward, and an excellent holding mid, and a new right back, we we've done a lot of money with what Arsenal have bought a single player for. So would I've liked Partey maybe, but yeah, I'm not losing any sleep over it. No, I think the fact they played at Atleti sort of led to quite a hype around him. Don't get me wrong, he's a good player, but if we're just asking someone to come in and do a job as a replacement for Sissoko, then we can pick someone up um, much, much cheaper that would do an adequate job in that position for for when we need, which is essentially just replace Hoybier when he's not available. <laughs> well, who knows if, uh, if Leeds could somehow implode, be relegated, and if we could then make a cheeky little approach for Calvin Phillips. He's exactly the kind of player that I'd like to see come in. Mm, yeah, absolutely. It was something, there was something odd about the Burnley game as well, is that we had a 1-0 win with 14 minutes to go. And we, <laughs> we won the game. <laughs> I, was, I was quite played with the game and shit, but he actually controlled the ball. And there were, there were moments where, this is where I give Lamella some credit, he came on, took the ball into the corner and went, come on then, I'm just going to get about it and be a bit of a nuisance. Come and get it off me. Game management is an underrated skill um, and we've sorely lacked it for a few years. So I, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. But that's also, I believe, it's the first back-to-back clean sheets we've kept in, is it more than 12 months? Stretching back into the last season. I think it's Possibly. 10 games. Yeah. A very it's, long time. Uh, really, on, it's then. really satisfying for the perfectionist, isn't it? to keep a clean sheet. I was having a conversation with an, uh, another friend the other day. Uh, believe it or not, I do have others. Well, one or Don't two. believe it. And uh, <laughs> I was saying I'd rather, I'd always rather win 2-0 than 4-2 because it means you've done a good job, kept things tight, you've not made sloppy errors. Even though seeing more goals can sometimes be more entertaining and just kind of get more enjoyment out of doing a good job. And uh, it's a, I always think it's a sign of a team really moving in the right direction if they can keep successive clean sheets for like over a period of three or four games because it, it, it means that you're doing the basics right and you've got into a good routine. So it'll be interesting to see if we can keep that up or not. 
yeah, and let's be honest, Burnley are a, are a dangerous team when they get their set pieces. They can put, they, you know, they can cause troubles to any any side. They are a big, strong team, and and in McNeil, they've got somebody who can put in a fantastic set piece as well. So we we did well to to marshal that. I think that's one of the reasons why Davies was preferred at left back to Reguilón because he's probably bit better at, at defending those set pieces and you know could be another body in there to win a few headers and um and i think Mate, we did well davies i'm sorry i can't <laughs> the, the, there was a moment yesterday when ben davies played a square ball behind hoisberg and he then blamed him for it as he was running back and they had a shot on goal and i've, I've just never seen jim am i the only person here who genuinely questions why we have a left back who passes so often back to his own centre half. I no, I hate it. Um I, I I can't understand it and I think it every time it happens. Um lots of teams do it as a mechanism for recycling the ball and uh, keeping possession, but I just think it's a nonsensical thing to do because it's first of all it's negative, but secondly you put yourselves under pressure, particularly against anyone that plays a high line and I just think frankly you should be doing better than I do but you can't argue with the maths. Two clean sheets in a row, both with Davies at the back. There's a common denominator here. Would be interesting, Jules, if, you, if there was like a hypothetical situation where there's like a burning building and Ben Davies and Harry Winks both there and you have to save one of them, who's coming out of that building alive? <laughs> I, I think I'd probably save Harry Winks because I don't, really I don't have anything personal against Harry Winks I just don't think he's he's quite at the level now which we want to aspire <laughs> to be so you do have something personal against Ben Davies I absolutely <laughs> do like Ben Davies just drives me up the wall can you is there someone who would be worse to go to the pub with than Ben Davies in our squad like Ben Davies would be the driest guy like he's he's going up and he, he wouldn't even get tap water he'd get something somehow more boring than tap water he's that person at the pub I, I know this is controversial, but I think Larice would be boring. You think Larice would be boring? <laughs> it wasn't that time Lurice when he got, got over, when he got pissed up in his own car, was he? <laughs> Fair point. To be fair, I think I think Larice would go in and he would just get on the red wine, which I have I have respect for. But Ben Davies would walk in and he would get like a lemonade or something. It would just be so dead. And his chat like, like any elite uh, any good elite <laughs> sportsman should do. Well, having said that, I just feel like Winks would spend the whole time just trying to chat up the one young female in the, in the pub and you wouldn't see any of him anyway. So careful. <laughs> You'd just be there just humping the bar stool in the pub. <laughs> Can you say that too? <laughs> Probably not, no. <laughs> well that's not bad. Come on. How could that be needing to be needing to be censored? The no, young girl would be of age, obviously. I just <laughs> the bar yeah, okay, the bar okay, okay, had gay consent. Let's let's just let's just move on. <laughs> I feel like having seen Reggion play and seeing the drive and the pace uh, and the forward thinking mindset he can bring from that position, having to watch Davies return at left back for two games was pretty painful for me. But a win is a win, and I did say that I wanted a clean sheet last week, so maybe I need to just uh, you know. Take that as it is. So we're recording on the 27th of October. On this day in 1928, Spurs lost the second division game uh, away to Stoke 2-0. We had a fullback, Cecil Poynton, uh, who was sent off. 
he was a loyal player and he played for the club and then went on to be a trainer and a physio uh, in what was a 50-year spell, eventually retiring in 1975. So what was significant about his red card back in 1928? Uh, was it the first one for two yellows or something along those lines? I'll give you a clue. The clue is uh, Burnley. <laughs> it was a cold and windy night in Burnley. <laughs> I've... No, wasn't it? Wasn't it like the last one for like decades or something? Pretty much. A fair play to Jim. Um, we didn't have another red card in the league until December 1965, when Frank Saul was uh, <laughs> sent off at Burnley. So that was 37 years of league football without sending off. Uh, but unfortunately, there isn't a trophy for that. Believe it or not, there was only e- even in all of the other competitions, there was only one red card given to a Spurs player. Uh, and that was in 1963 when Jimmy Greaves was sent off on the touchline. It was Cecil Pointed. Uh, it was part of Bill Nicholson's backroom staff. So in that 37-year gap, or in that case, 35 by that time, weirdly, he was the one greeting him as he left the pitch. <laughs> There's a lot of people calling out for a red card for Lamella. And the reason I bring it up now is because that's also quite a significant point that in seven years, Lamella's never picked up a red card at Spurs. Does that not sound like the most ridiculous thing, considering he the way he plays? when he's booked. <laughs> it's a bit like you saying you drive better when you're pissed <laughs> Jim can we please talk about Antwerp talk to us about our Thursday night opponents yeah um, quite an interesting club there's uh, a few similarities with Lask actually obviously from a different country but like Lask they uh, are a side that used to be really good and then got relegated for quite a long time and have only been back in the top division for a couple of years but in that time they seem to have become like the best club in Belgium again they started off as a cricket club uh, set up by a bunch of Englishmen and sort of came to football quite late and again like Lask and like Spurs have a terrible uh, domestic record they've not won the league title for like 60 years but they uh, finished fourth last year Um, they're top of the league this season and seem to be doing quite well Won the Belgian Cup last year as well, which was their first silverware for about uh, 27, 28 years. Um, so they're on a, an upward trajectory. Um, standard in Belgium isn't amazing, but probably a tougher uh, test than Lask, I should think. Yeah, so they've got Richard Vlatt, who was at Leicester and Aston Villa, who will be familiar. And they also have uh, Jordan Lukaku. Jordan Lukaku becomes absolutely sick on Football Manager, just FYI. If you're if if Ash you're looking for a little option in like 2026, he's a very good yeah. left wing back or left winger, pretty pacey, and he's quite, quite highly regarded in real life as well, wasn't he? He was at Lazio, and a lot of people thought that he was going to go on to at least be a decent European talent. Doesn't sound like it's gone that way. Well, you say that. I think Antwerp are a decent. Yeah, they're a decent side. I agree with Jim. I think they'll be a step up from from Lask. I mean, they're also. It's quite a tough tough town. So if they've got local local lads in there, then I'd imagine they're going to play play some good football, but they'll be they'll be difficult to beat. Um, you know, we, we think of the fact that their most famous footballing product is Toby Alderweireld. And I certainly wouldn't like to be coming up against our, our rock at the back. So uh, no, Thursday won't be an easy game by by any stretch. I think we're going to have to be, be on form to, to keep another clean sheet. Yeah, I think Toby's got that famous... Church spire in Antwerp tattooed on his arm, doesn't he? 
um, which ultimately begs the question, if you could have something from your hometown tattooed onto your arm, what would you go for and why? Well, I grew up in Cheshunt, and for the listener that doesn't know, that was where Tottenham used to have their training ground way back when. And up where I lived, there was a there was a bus stop at the top of the road. And if you don't know what it's like to live outside London and get on public transport, the bus came once every hour. <laughs> it was not great. But the thing about the bus stop was that it was cut out from the main road by about 15, 20 yards. So you couldn't even wave down the bus. By the time the bus came, it went. So the most used <laughs> bus stop, I thought I'd give it a use and I'd get that towed on my arm. <laughs> You're not going for the old pond? No, no, it's too obvious. You're not even like tattooed with it. Uh, quite, I think it's almost annual that someone fills it with fairy liquid and it just bubbles <laughs> over. <laughs> what would you get, Ben? I've been giving this some think. There's a big. I'm from a town called Ware, which brings enough enough jokes in itself. But there is a big water tower on the hill. Other than that, I think I'm going to have to go for the Great Bed of Ware. The Great what Bed of Ware. Oh, right. I'm glad you asked. Well, it was built, no one's quite sure when it was built. It was built at some point between 1590 and 1600. It's basically a massive oak four-poster bed. And it's uh, about 10 foot by 11 foot. And it could reputably fit four couples in it. You do hear rumours about the countryside in England, but I mean, that really is kind of on point, Fen. Um, well, I think it wasn't long ago that a report came out that Warehead was one of the towns with the highest... Uh, Pornhub viewers ships in the country so it goes along quite well. well I've left the town now so uh, it's probably dropped way down the um, <laughs> way down the table but it is on display in the Victoria and Albert Museum if, if you're that way inclined it's got some lovely uh, European Renaissance patterns sketched into the oak as well as some graffiti from people who have stayed in it where of course <laughs> is a famous in town uh, halfway between London and Cambridge so essentially it was a bit of a local attraction so I'm just going to have a big bed of tattooed on my arm. Jim, is there actually anything up north worth uh, actually tattooing on your body? Uh, probably not. There's a big, uh, there's a big glass pyramid, which was like, you know, like in the 80s they did all these kind of horrible out of town uh, building projects that they thought was going to be the future, and actually it just turned out to be shit. <laughs> uh, they we did one of those. Harlow. <laughs> so we've got a glass pyramid and uh, a massive viaduct that is just unreasonably big so maybe maybe one of those two but i mean i'm not particularly inclined to get a tattoo of anything let alone some crap landmark that nobody actually likes what about that series of locks by your house that they're on one of the canals oh yeah they're quite nice actually i mean it is a lock yeah. though isn't it yeah but so... there are about nine of them that's got to be interesting. yeah there are there are a lot of locks. I think there's quite a lot of bikes in that canal. Insert your own punchline here. <laughs> <laughs> Leave that up to the listener. <laughs> yeah, so Antwerp away Thursday. Scores on the doors. Jules, what are we going for? I think it will be hard fought, but I think we'll keep our momentum going. So a 2-1 win and hopefully Vinicius or Bale breaking their ducks uh, for the season. They, they're coming off a, a win in the league and they beat Ludogorets in the last Europa League game. So they're, they're, their confidence will be high and obviously they'll be well up for it. But I still think we'll do it fairly comfortably. I still think we'll, we'll win another 3-0. Because of what you said, I think they will score. But I think our quality will show through. 
So I'm going to 2-1 Spurs. Um, I, I kind of agree with all of you. Spurs will win, I think. Probably concede, so I'll go 3-1. We go again at the weekend, uh, up against Brighton. Well, they can actually be quite a tricky game uh, team to play, but never really have the results to show for it. But they do have something to fight for because it's not looking good for them at the start of the season. Tools, what are you thinking ahead of that one? I think this is an absolute banana skin because Brighton are actually a pretty good team who have just been unlucky in their first few games. Um, they play a really nice sort of three-five-two, pretty fluid style. Um, they've got an excellent young right back um, from Chelsea. Uh, is it is it Lamp- Lampty? Or yeah, mm, yeah, right, yeah. Uh, ben White at the heart of defence with Shane Duffy and uh, and, and another uh, good centre half. No, I think they you know they battered United and I think they hit the woodwork five times or something in that game. Um, so you know I I look at this and I think it's a bit of a dangerous one. Um, and also because not that we haven't had to play many teams who play an attacking three five two, so it's going to be a different kind of challenge for us to um, to kind of figure out. It's not. They're not going to simply stick everyone behind the ball. They're going to actually play with smart interchanges and some some nice patterns of play. So um, one, we're going to have to be very very careful of uh, of as we go into it. Yeah, I think they can be dangerous on the ball, as as Jules was saying. But I think the way they play and the way they set up lets up quite nicely for how we want to play. There should be space out wide for the likes of Son and whoever's playing on the right hand side should also mean that he'll have a nice gap to exploit between between the right back, the midfielder and the centre half where where, you know, with their clever runs that he makes, he could make it difficult for them to figure out who should be following him, who should be tracking him, whether to Mike Tark or uh, Mark Tyke, what does that mean? Whether to Mark <laughs> tightly or um, or give him a yard. So I think we can exploit the gaps that they will they will leave us. So I again I think I think it'll be Hard fall, but I do think we'll win probably 2-0. They've got two of the most horrible centre-forwards, by the way. Um, they really do, yeah. They yeah. Um, And actually, actually, three looking at their list, because I've just spotted, of course, that they've they've signed on a year's deal, Danny Welbeck, who I'm sure would love to, um, to give us a bit of trouble. But Aaron Connolly is a right little shit. And Neil Mope is class, is absolutely amazing at winding people up. Circa Guendouzi, who hasn't been seen since. So <laughs> I genuinely, I look at them and I think, oh, please let's not play Sanchez because that is exactly the kind of striker that Sanchez bites the bait and he goes for it and he ends up making a fool of himself. So yeah, really, I hate to say it, don't do it. I hate to say it, but I can see Sanchez being played on that game because they've got two short, quick strikers. And knowing Jose Mourinho doing the tactics he, he likes to employ, he probably will play Sanchez in that game, probably with Dyer. Am I going... I, I might be about to make the roguest suggestion of the evening. Would it be a bad idea to play Ben Davies at left centre-back in a game like this, given they're not going to be dominant in the air? And he's probably actually a pretty calm influence back there against two forwards of that nature. Yeah, in open play, it would make sense. Yeah. What would worry me would be set pieces when they've got their three big centre-backs and their giant on the left-back going forward. And we've only really got two, maybe three tall lads in there to um, to defend. We've got Moussa. Well, yeah, that's, I think Sissoko will start. I think 
Dyer and Alderweireld will probably step in. And Sanchez will probably rotate in on Thursday and then hopefully rotate out again. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a feeling it's going to be quite a low-scoring um, affair, that one. So Brighton will try to keep it tight. And they tend to do well if they can get a bit of momentum and get their noses in front. It's a bit of a cliche about the first goal, but if you don't want to be chasing the game against them. Uh, whereas if you can get ahead early on, then they'll probably fall apart. Um, but I can't imagine there's going to be too many goals in it. I'd also shout out, if anyone's uh, interested in kind of learning about um, an unusual player who'll be coming up against, um, Stephen Al- Alzate um, will be playing centre-mid for them, and I, I think he's a cracking little player. Quite an unusual background, because he's Colombian, came through at Leighton Orient before being bought by Brighton, and he came through originally, I think, as a left wing-back, and he's now in centre-mid for them. Um, keep an eye out because if he keeps on improving the way that he has been, I think he could be. Uh, I think we could do a lot worse than looking at someone like that to be a kind of deep lying sort of schemer, maybe a backup to the Celso in a in a year or so. So, early scouting mission on as sort of cards on the doors. That reminds me of um, Alexis McAllister. Um, sounds <laughs> like a Scottish name because he's he's got Scottish and Irish heritage, but he's actually. Argentinian, and he he's been uh, stood out really for Brighton this season uh, in the middle. Um, <laughs> I just think it's a great great that you've got a guy called, basically called Alex McAllister, who is uh, <laughs> Argentinian. <laughs> if anyone wants to know about uh, Scotland's impact on football growing more in Argentina, um, Angels with Dirty Faces is Jonathan Wilson's book about that and explains how the Scots brought the game over to Argentina and to Buenos Aires. So recommend that if you are uh, if if you are so inclined. I'm also I've also just upsettingly I've just realised I've been on this train for more than an hour and I'm still only in Swindon. And finishing off in Swindon, let's end this podcast. Thank you all for for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>